welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets splintered? You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck and his throat's been Whatever it is that gives the dead the appearance of life. It is not the appearance of life, it is life. This is not magic, as you say. I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Get me back! Get me back, Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. You just can't let them go. Go. We are back on the Retro Blair. Episode two. Episode two. James Klein, J.A. Allison, back for some more 80s Dreamland experience. And we'll be talking Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And boy, boy, what a movie this is. What a movie, what a movie, what a movie, James. So, tell me, did, what did you think about this movie? I mean, did you like this? So, um, I mean, we'll get into like some more breakdown, but I actually did like this movie. It was pretty simple to follow, but, like, so, you know, we're, we're watching these in, like, 80s eyes. Like, I want to put myself there in the experience. Like, I don't want to know about some of the other films. You know, I just want to be like, okay, I'm here, I'm watching this movie during this time period. And I thought for the time period, it's pretty good. Um, now, when we go watch some other horror movies around this time, I'd probably say some other ones maybe have been a little bit better, a little bit of a story. But I thought this one was okay on certain parts. Yeah, but in our 1980s eyes, we haven't seen the uh, we haven't seen yet. We don't even know if they're going to make another movie. That's true. That's true because so, yeah, yeah. No, so I was going to say so. If you saw Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, and then in 1985, almost exactly one year later, you went and saw this, what would you think? So I would think um, during this period, I'd be like, okay, I definitely like the first one, and I can see how they're making a sequel. Um, And I, I would say I wouldn't like it as better as the first film, but I could tell that they got more money. You know, they have like a little bit more money during this film. They put a little bit more production on some of the Dreamland, um, like special effects. Um, but yeah, definitely, like I, I didn't like the actual story as much as the first one. But I thought some of the effects were were pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I it was better than I expected. I would say it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Um. You know, I mean, like I've I've heard that this movie has like a cult following now, but. I think it's just because of like the, the, uh, uh, I'm not really sure why, um, but it has like a cult following now. It's, it's, it's not terrible. Like I didn't hate it, but I mean, it wasn't, it, it's just like part of it to me, like you just see, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but it doesn't really seem to follow like the logic of the first movie. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, because, it's, yeah. like, like it's completely different. Like it's like the mythology that we know. Of you know, Freddie being in dreams and coming through the dreams seems to be completely different in this and doesn't make a lot of sense. 
And it's also like, like, are you familiar with John Hughes, the director? Um, not too much. I mean, he made a lot of like 1980s, like teen comedies, I guess, like that are really classics. Like he made Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and oh, okay. Pretty in nice. Pink, and he made a lot of those movies. To me, this movie just struck me as like, what if John Hughes made a Nightmare on Elm Street movie? Yep. Like it's just so like, I mean, I don't know. I don't mean. I mean, I don't know. Maybe teenagers were like this in the 80s, where they're wearing their like, you know, fake Wayfarer sunglasses and they're like dancing around to like new wave music or whatever. I don't know. It's, it, I just thought it was really like the whole concept of it was really strange. But anyway, let's continue on with the story. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into some of the the strangeness. Of, of this movie, which definitely there was a, some stuff you definitely can't do nowadays. But, sure. um, oh, we got to do history first. Yeah, Let's so the history. the history of this particular time is jam-packed. Of So basically, John, if we were... were I want to put myself in this time period because November, this movie came out on November 1st, 1985, and there was so much stuff going on that this would have been like a badass weekend because... You got a release of this awesome track. You had this great WCW episode that was like building up the Starcade, the Gathering. But we'll go first with some of the <clears throat> with some of the bands. So when I was doing some of my research, I didn't realize that a lot of great bands are like very iconic now. Actually formed in 1985, <clears throat> and that would be um, Guns N' Roses was one of them. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Guns N' Roses, and also King Diamond came around this time as well. Yeah, he left Merciful Fate. Merciful Fate broke up, I guess, in 85, and then he formed his solo band, like, that year. And another one was um, this band called Majesty, which became Dream Theater. Oh, that I did not know. Yes. So they actually formed during this time. Um, some of the original members of Dream Theater were in this band called Majesty, and uh, they later on, a couple years later, that's when they became Dream Theater. So I thought that was pretty... Some, some little crazy... Uh, bands were actually formed during this time. So 1985 was definitely... And of course, this was the year of the very first WrestleMania as well. Of course, that was a couple months before this movie came out. But, you know... we And then this is obviously... The wrestling part of this is... We're building up to the Starcade, um, um, The Gathering. But before we get into that... On my research... I was trying to find more about some metal bands and if anybody released a track around this time, and I found a hidden gem. Now, John, I know we mostly talk about metal on here. We try to talk about 80s metal, but we can't forget that during this time period, we had a lot of glam bands during this time. Yes, we did. We have the hair, we have the sparkling, we have like the zebra, we have like the ha the hand bands. Now I know you don't like it, but I have a sweet spot for glam bands. I can't help it. They're well, just, I like the uh. early glam bands. Uh, I mean, well, like is a strong word, but I, I you know, like when, when you know when the glam bands first started, they were they were they're actually edgy and they were pretty good. Like you know, Molly Crew, Shout at the Devil. I mean, that's one of the best records you yep. know ever probably um you know uh, but you know by 85 you know motley crew was starting to get really big i guess mm -hmm. uh, you know they're starting to get big but yeah there was there was some definitely still some good glam at this point but anyway what what did you find so i found this asian glam band called crazy nights and they released their track November 1st, 1985. And the track was called Loudness 
off their album Thunder in the East. Have you ever heard of this band called Crazy Nights, John? No, but it's weird that you would say this because I have heard of a Japanese glam band called Loudness. Did they change their name? Uh, I think they might have changed their name to Loudness. So, because um, I was, I was kind of like going back and forth with some of my history on them, and I think they did change their name to Loudness based on this track, but okay. I couldn't get it like a defined answer <laughs> on it. So that's what I believe would happen. But you, so like I said before on the first episode. I'm pretty much going to have to like start us like a Facebook page or a group or something and post some of these scenes because this music video is tremendous. Okay. <laughs> you have to see this thing. <laughs> you, you have to see this video. It is like the funniest. Like this is just like these Asian glam dudes. I'm talking about freaking perm hair everywhere. Fucking tights and shit. They, <laughs> they're just playing on the stage. They got people like singing their song. I mean, it, it, it's like... Do you want to rock with us tonight? You came to the show tonight. <laughs> you got to see this video. Everybody, I'm going to put this on the Facebook. You guys have to. Like, I'm sorry, John. If both of us were hanging out in 1985, I would have been playing this fucking track all the way to the Greensboro Coliseum. This, and I would have been the happiest dude. I've been playing this track all the way down there to go watch this WCW episode because this it thing was rocking. I, I, last night, I was listening to this thing over and over again. I was like, I was like hooked. It was like the funniest, like craziest thing you got to see. I'm probably going to play it at the end of this episode, but you guys have to see this video. It's like tremendous. It'd be rocking down to the Greensboro Coliseum playing this track in your yep. Trans Am or your Ford Mustang. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I know it. If I was like, uh, you know, obviously I was born around this time, but I was just a baby. But if I was like a teenager, you know, basically if I was what I was with now, I'd be rocking the leather jacket. I'd probably have the mullet going on. Probably, I probably look like Magnum Ti to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> I'd be freaking rocking the the WCW Greensboro Coliseum. I'd be playing this track. I'd be doing all kind of hair bands. I'd be like You're, our uh, boy. I'd be like our boy Grandy. <laughs> like with your yeah. <laughs> with your mustache, your Magnum Ta mullet. Yep. So that's gonna bring us to this hidden gem I found. So November 2nd, 1985, a WCW uh, Saturday night taping. So yeah, I'd be driving down to my Trans Am coming up to this. Because Greensboro is not too far from where we're at over here, huh? Uh, it, yeah, it's not, it's not that far. I mean, it's definitely, a, it's definitely drivable. I used to go there to concerts and stuff. Nice. So this episode, like I said, it was kind of like a build-up to the Starcade, The Gathering. Which, I'm pretty sure the main event of that one was like Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes for the title. Um, if I do believe. Was it? Uh, I didn't write that part down, so. <laughs> but anyway. So this episode had like pretty much like a lot of great. I'm not going to go like scene by scene in this episode. I'm just going to give some highlights of it. But for it sure. was pretty crazy. So a couple of t- na- uh, t- um, notes um, I took away from this episode was... Um, the biggest one was uh, David Crockett. So it was David Crockett and Tony Schiavone during this time. And if a lot of you out there are not fans of like the newer style commentary, this David Crockett was fantastic. This guy, <laughs> he was just like really energetic, very like, look at this, look at him, watch him <laughs> type of guy. So that one was pretty funny with him. Um, yeah, fr- yeah I was going to say, I don't interrupt you, but yeah, we... Um... 
we recently saw David at uh, Dynamite. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did yeah, when we went to the to do commentary during dark. Yeah. Oh yeah, I should definitely have to go watch it because his commentary, like he's basically just like a fan. Like yeah. he doesn't have like a lot of insight to moves. Like his, he doesn't go like say, "Oh, this is a suplex. Oh, this is a chin." Like he's like, "Yeah, look at him. Look at the power. Look at that sickle. Look at that thing. Watch him. Watch him." That was my favorite. Like, watch him. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's great. So we get a couple. So the main storylines going on in this episode, the main one was uh, Tully Blanchard and Magnum Ti, which was. TA. T.A., that's what I always get those You keep two, saying though. T.I., but it's T.I. Magnum T.I. Mag, you're confusing it with Magnum T.I., which is what his name was based on. Yes. But, yeah, anyway. The T.I. was a TV show. T.A. was a wrestler that I definitely would have copied his look if I was uh, growing up in 1985. He had the freaking mullet, blonde hair mullet and the stash. Great, great wrestler. So this yeah. is their, their build-up. So what happened was they were fighting, um, and they both got knocked out. And this is for the U.S. title at the time. And the, it was like a double, basically a double count out. So um, Tully said he's not, t- uh, Magnum's not going to get another Tyler shot at all. He doesn't want to give him any kind of Tyler shot. And uh, Magnum wants to have like a I quit, no holds barred cage match. And they were going back and forth during the whole episode. Um, part, of the, part of the regime didn't want to give him the match at all. They thought it was too brutal. And then the other part was like, screw it. We don't care if it's brutal. We need to have this match happen. And, of course, the match happened. And, of course, uh, Tully got all pissed about it. Magnum was happy. And during this time also, too, so we didn't have the formation of the Four Horsemen. But they were all, like, friends during this time. So. Yeah, they were about to form. They were all, like, um. They were all together at this point. They just weren't called the Four Horsemen. Yeah, yet, so, and they all had interviews during this show too. Um, so Ric Flair did his interview uh, talking about Dusty hurting his foot. He said, like, so Dusty was supposed to wrestle on November third after this um, on one of their house shows. I think it was in Atlanta. And um, D- uh, Ric Flair was just going on like Dusty can't wrestle. He broke his foot. I'm the real world champion. Um, I'm defending it all over. He said something about his dad was a famous doctor, so he knows that somebody's hurt, how they can't wrestle. Um, he also brings up a, um, a college athlete, I mean, a, a football player, uh, Keith Bergs, about how he injured his foot as well, too. So, really good interview from uh, Flair. And this is also during the time where J.J. Um, Dillon was just managing a bunch of random people. Like, he managed, like, this blonde-haired guy and some cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> So it was very, very interesting. So, he, like, he was, um, J.J. Dillon was basically doing his uh, Bobby Heaton role, where, you know, Bobby Heaton would manage a bunch of different people and have them all in one stable. So, J.J. was basically doing this this part. And I guess not even pretty soon, like, J.J. just goes full time with the horseman. He doesn't manage anybody else. So, it's pretty interesting how we see the um, the shake, the, the, the turn around for this one. Um, also, too, um, some of the some of the highlights from this episode is so the Andersons, I w- so before they had like Ric Flair and Andersons and Tully Blanchard become the Four Horsemen, the Andersons would always call Ric Flair their cousin, so they're all like cousins. So I always thought that yes. was pretty interesting. Like they're all like related somehow with them. Even though when you hear Arn Anderson talk, you can clearly tell he is not from Minnesota. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and then, so the best highlight for this episode for me. So if if I was watching during this time, and I I am like I am now, I like to see random weird matches. Okay, and I don't think there was. I did not know this match existed. I didn't even know it could even happen, but it did. It happened on November 2nd, 1985 in this WCW taping. It was, of all people, Billy Graham versus Abdullah the Butcher. Wow. On television. On television. Free television. So, so we had Abdullah the Butcher on free television versus superstar Billy Graham. Yes. Now, I'm not sure how old Billy Graham was during this time, but he looked like he was 50, and he's still alive he, today. He was pretty old. He was pretty old. Now, he was a buff 50-year-old guy, but he looked like he was old. And Abdullah, of course, you know, we know what he looks like, a big dude, big, scary dude. And so the build-up to this was um, superstar Billy Graham wants to, <laughs> he wants to arm wrestle the Barbarian. All right? And in between, I guess Barbarian was in a stable with Abdullah Butcher, so... Abdullah Butcher challenged Superstar to face a match, and then maybe if Superstar wins, he can face Barbarian in a arm wrestling match. And of course, we had the manager, one of the greatest managers too, who doesn't get a lot of credit. Uh, Paul Jones was in this segment Paul as well Jones. too. Yep. And he was actually a great promo. This Paul Jones guy, like he was a great promo. He, I think he he was just as good as a, a Jimmy Crockett. I mean, a, a Jim Cornette during his time as wow. well. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty something, man. Like, I was like, okay, I was pretty impressed with him. Uh, so, yeah, the match, I mean, it was uh, basically if you looked in your head and you looked at Billy, Superstar Billy Graham and Abdullah Butcher, what their match would be like is exactly what it came to be. <laughs> Two guys hitting each other, uh, holds, uh, very slow uh, match. Uh, looked like they got very tired. Uh, they did a little bit of stuff on the outside. We didn't see no fork, which I guess... He couldn't redo it during a Saturday night taping. Yeah, I mean, we we're on national TV. Yeah, so no forks there. And then at the end, pretty much Barbarian came in and, and did the disqualification. So overall, this episode was pretty enjoyable. So all you guys out there, if you want to follow along with the timeline, November 2nd, 1983, oh, 1985, sorry, November 2nd, 1985, you can find this Saturday night taping. You can sign it on YouTube. You can, sign, you can see it on the Peacock Network. But I definitely would check out this episode and it's very crazy, like, I mean, this whole week would have been great. I mean, you got Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 coming out. You got this freaking crazy nights, sound, loudness track going on. And you got a great episode of WCW, Saturday Nights. So, 1985, November, talk about rocking. Definitely rocking over here. Yeah, so yeah, so Billy Graham was uh, like 42 years old in this in the, during this match. Wow. So he was definitely at the end of his career, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I barely remember him wrestling much at all. I mean, I only remember him, like, probably, like, this year, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, like, prior past this year, he probably wasn't doing too much else after that. So, I mean, obviously, Abdullah uh, was. He would do a lot more hardcore matches during after this. But, yeah, it's definitely crazy. Pretty crazy time for you. Um, do you have any more history did you want to say in 1985? Um, I was just going to say that... In November of 1985, other movies that were out, um, Death, Death Wish 3 came out, which uh, uh, I think came out like the week before Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, 
and that was like its main competition. I think that it kind of came in second to uh, to uh, Death Wish three that 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 month. Which I mean, you know, it's a horror movie. That's what yeah. you'd expect, right? I mean, you know, it's a it's kind of an underground thing. And then Rocky four would come out like two weeks later. Oh yeah, and that definitely was taking over the box office charts. Yes. <laughs> Same. But yeah, let's get into some of the breakdown of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So we are uh, continuing the November release date. Uh, so the first one was released in November, and this one was also released in November as well. So I guess November was a pretty good time period for this movie to come out, kind of like right after Halloween um, time frame. You got a little little Freddy coming at you. Um, so we basically get about, about three major characters in this movie we have jess who's going to be our main guy we're going to have lisa which is his girl counterpart um we're also going to have our grandy which is um jess friend slash like kind of like a was his enemy at first but then became his friend i guess it's like a dude bro type of guy right um and then of course uh freddie so the main plot is uh we start this with the um the school bus scene and I actually kind of like the scene at the beginning with the school with the school bus. Um, so basically, so at the end of the first movie, remember we had Nancy and some of her friends go into that that car that Freddie that kind of like the convertible car with Freddie's um, lo- um, t-shirt for the convertible part on there, and they kind of yeah. just drive off and we leave that open end. So this one doesn't really like it's not like a direct sequel. For this one, so we don't have any of the the characters we had in the first movie. In this one, it's like a whole new cast. Exactly. So this one, we start off a school bus. Um, we see the main character. At first, I thought he was just some like wussy emo guy <laughs> on the bus. You know, he's with these blondes, and we and we do see uh, Freddie really quick. Little Easter egg there. We do see the Freddie without his makeup on um, during this scene driving the school bus. And this is when I could tell right away, like, okay, we got some money in this film. So the other film did pretty good. The studio gave them a couple extra money to do some more effects. They probably like were thinking, okay, we got a little extra money. This is about dreams. Let's make it more like dreamlike in some of these sequences. So yes, except, but anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't really seem to have a lot to do with dreams, but anyway. No, no, it it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't have to do too much with the actual dreams. So after we get this, we get just waking up in sweat. So this guy, he, okay, we do a lot. (laughs) We get like a ton of scenes of this motherfucker waking up in his tidy whities sweating. So, dude, (laughs) like when this happened, like at the beginning of this movie, like I laughed so loud, like, Like I, I mean, is I can't I couldn't figure out if the movie's supposed to be funny or not, but like he's like when he's, they're all like sitting down like this like generic like 1980s family yeah you know with their 1950s dad or whatever sitting around the table and they're like eating breakfast all of a sudden there's yeah. this like crazy scream and then the little girl is like why can't Jesse wake up like everybody else or something yep. like that. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah. Like, so, like, and then <laughs> the did you did you catch what cereal she was eating? The Fu Manchu. The Fu Manchu's, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be some sort of freaking Easter egg. I, I want I want to bring that back, man. That cereal looked pretty good. Yeah, I know. So Fu Manchu. <laughs> so during this time, we also meet. So th- okay, so the the premise of this right now is just he's the new kid in town. 
So I, I guess he's been in town for a couple months already, though, because he already has a girl like that he goes to school with named Lisa. Yeah. So they're they're already kind of established as like they like like each other in a way. So instead of like you know other movies like we actually see the guy move in, we we see him interact with people for the first time. Justin and his family has probably been here for maybe like a month or two already. Yep. So they go to school and we get the them now this is where we get the uh we figure out that Jess is a sports guy. He's playing baseball. And this is where we meet the other counterpart of Grandy to him. And of course, you know, we get some eighties sports, you know, doing baseball and stuff. And obviously the main coach, this guy, was one of the weirdest characters I think I've seen in horror movies. This yeah. freaking coach Snyder guy. He was like just a di- so, <laughs> it, so then you can explain this a little bit to me. So this guy was like a dick, and Grandy goes saying this guy goes to gay bars. He goes to do all this stuff at nighttime, and you think it's just him being mad and like angry, but it, it came out to be actually true. <laughs> and or, or that I, I we'll get to that scene pretty soon, but it was very kind of confusing coming up a little later on with this Snyder character. Yeah, I mean, like this, like a lot of things that are in this movie are confusing to me. And like, I don't, I mean, I don't know if this is what the 80s were actually like, or if this is just what 80, 80s movies were like. But I mean, you know, because obviously I was like a little kid then, and I don't really remember all, you know, these kind of specifics. But, you know, like, like, for example, like the scene where they're playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back to what we were wondering about the first movie. Like, where does this take place at? So they're playing baseball. And they're wearing like short 1980s shorts and sweatshirts. So is it hot or is it cold? Like I can't figure out like, you know, what what's going on? What's going on with with any of this kind of this whole scene right here just doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, because anyway. we're 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 led to believe that in just house, like each each time we go back there, the house is like getting hotter and hotter. Yes. And so we get some more scenes of just like. Basically, we're, we're in his dream parts right now. So he's back home. He's dreaming. He's walking through his house. And he keeps seeing, like, Freddy through the windows, things like that. And he can't really figure out what's going on during this time. Um, so he's kind of searching throughout this whole house. And eventually we get uh, Freddy right behind him. And he grabs him. And he's like, this is when we get the, the plot of what the movie is supposed to be. He grabs Jess and says, you have the body. I have the brains. And then Jess wakes up, of course, screaming and sweat. So we're led to believe that Freddy is haunting Jess in his dreams to take over his body during this time. Yes, yes. Even though, uh, yes, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Even though Freddy didn't have a body per se in the first movie either. Because, I mean, like, I took that as saying that, like, okay, Freddy was destroyed in the first movie, so now he's, like, haunting like a ghost. Yes. But that was like an element of the first movie as well. You know what I mean? Yes. So I mean, the first. So in the first movie, Freddy was hunting up and he was killing everybody through their dreams and their nightmares. Apparently, yeah. in this movie, in order to kill people, he needs to go through Jess to do it. Apparently. So so we're basically we're we're, we're taking it has. Just um, Freddie needs like a counterpartner to do all his killing for him because he can't, he's not powerful enough to do it in their dreams right now. Mm, so. Yeah, 
true. So I, that's I suppose so. Yeah. So that's why I was kind of like getting at the stem of the story. Um. So then during this, we get more school scenes. We get just with the snake on him and stuff. So then after this, we get there's like a party supposed to be coming on pretty soon. There's always a party, of course. And yeah. Lisa meet with Jess, but Jess has to stay home because his dad wants him to keep unpacking. And this is when we get the R&B scene of him in his underwear. He gets embarrassed and stuff. So we're just building more relationships between Jess and Lisa. So we're, right. we're building stronger bronze during this time. Um, and also right. during this time... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah. So this is leading up to the pool party they're planning at, at Lisa's house. Yes. This is like rich family's house. Yes. Which is when we get to it, probably the best part of the movie. Oh, okay. So during, <laughs> I thought it was the best part of the movie. <laughs> so during this time, <laughs> I like this part. So how to, how do we incorporate the first movie into this, um, um, sequel without having in the major cast? Oh, we'll just read a diary. That's so yeah. happened to be left behind by Nancy. That's how right, we so will. It turns out they're living in Nancy's house. Yes. So it turns out that Jess has uh, bought Nancy's house, and the storyline of it is they found her journal. They uh, we bring up some stuff about Glenn in the journal. Uh, she talks a little bit about not sleeping in the journal, and it goes on to saying some of these weird dreams that are happening. And Jess takes notice once um, they read about parts of Freddie. So he looks a little worried because. Obviously, she's talking about Freddy's look of him with the sweater and the burnt face. And he's like, oh, shit, I've been seeing this guy in my dreams. Right. And what else do they mention about and what else do they mention about the diary? Um, so th- so this is a little weird, too. So I did, uh, this happens maybe a little later, but they also go about what happened to Nancy and the parents also, too. So apparently well, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go you finish. So apparently, Nancy, uh, she after the first movie, she went insane. So they put her in an insane asylum, and the mom died in the living room by a murderer, and uh, the dad just couldn't take anything. So he went off to be retired and go somewhere. And they're saying Nancy went crazy not because of Freddie, but because she saw her boyfriend get butchered across the street. Well, right. That's what they're saying, because, you know, this actually is pretty good, because if you think about it, like that's the perception of what other people would would think, because, you know, like they like the normal people of their town don't believe in Freddie. Right. So they just believe that she went insane because she saw her boyfriend murdered Mm -hmm. and that her mom, quote unquote, killed herself. Yes. Um, But the other thing that they mention in this, it, it says that. Uh, Lisa holds up the diary and she said, this is five years old. So this movie takes place in 1989. Yep. So I'm wondering if in the future installments of this series, if they make any, will this be a problem? Well, continuity wise. Yes. But anyway, so this movie takes place five years in the future. So, you know, so we're, it's actually 1989 here. Yes. So also to now, we're probably, we're only going to be doing the 80s Freddies, but uh, just my guess, I'm not really sure if they're going to be counting this movie in the storyline or not, but we'll go over that maybe uh, in future reviews, but we'll see. But like I said, I'm watching it for Eyes on Is right now. Um, let's see. So we also get 
during this time, we need to get more Freddy and Jess interaction. Jess is in the uh, in the basement, uh, the boiler room basement, finds Freddy's glove. And now Freddy says to him, I want you to kill for me. So we're getting more of the relationship between Freddy and Jess and how Freddy needs to go through Jess to kill for him. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then there was a huge, we, well, we kind of skipped the tongue scene for this movie, but it's not important. Remember yeah. where they're making out on the floor and then like his, his tongue, like gets real, like Freddy's tongue comes out of his mouth. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's yeah. coming up pretty soon. Oh, right. I forgot. Oops. Yeah. That's part of, that's part of my favorite scene of the pool party. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so during this time also too, um, we get more interaction with Grandy and Jess. Um, they're at, they're, they're kind of have like a bro romance. So at first you think they're kind of like enemies and stuff. They're kind of like making fun of each other. But then throughout the movie, they actually become kind of friends with each other. Um, so during this time, they're all like ripping on the Snyder guy for being like gay. <laughs> and then like how he's being an asshole to him. So the Snyder guy, and every time they talk about him, he finds out and he makes him run the tracks and do push-ups and stuff. So we're just building more relationship with these guys being kind of like uh, pretty close together. Um, yes. So this is also when we get a weird scene. I thought this scene was a little funny. So we're back at the house and the house now Jess now confronts his dad about buying this house for cheap because um, he found out that Nancy used to live here and all these murders happen. And the dad's like, yeah, I bought this house for cheap. How do you think I got it so cheap? You know, because all the, the murder stories. So he didn't tell his family about the actual murders that happened at this house. And during this time, the house is like super hot. So it's like the the gas the dad thinks it's a gas leak, but it's not. It's actually the you know the room where Freddy's at just making the place hot. This is when we get the famous birds going crazy. Yeah, but, the bird attacks them for some random reason. Yeah, what did you think about the bird blowing up? I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, you know, I mean, it was a pretty cool scene, but I mean, are we supposed to believe that Freddy possessed the bird? I guess. I mean, I, I some well. Well, we'll see later. Like, so I guess Freddy, when he gets his more power, when he gets his powers back, he can like make things and possess them, and they melt. Because you see a lot of melting stuff on this movie. So this is actually one of my favorite scenes coming up too. So Jess is now sleeping again, and I okay. So this is this part was a little confusing to, to tell you the truth. I couldn't really tell if Jess was. I think he might have been sleepwalking, but this is like in reality. So maybe you can help me out over here with this one. So Jess is wakes up. He walks through his house and he goes to Don's place. It's an 80s punk bar. All right. I suppose so. Yes. I guess yes. that's what that's supposed to be. I saw one punk <laughs> punk. I, okay. I Okay. I'm not really sure. It's an, a, an alternative bar. Okay. Yeah. It's an alternative bar in 1985 uh, yes. or nine, so, depending on how you look at it. So it wasn't, it wasn't as like wild as some of these other bars I've seen before, but we could tell there's people in leather over there. You know what I mean? It's probably... A, it didn't really look like a straight gay bar like our boy Grandy was talking about. But I can see we have like a little bit both of those mixtures in there. So... Yeah. Just is just walking through the bar. Everybody's staring at him all weird. Probably saying like, hey, how old is this kid? How the fuck did he get into this bar? And then uh, he goes to order a, a drink. How old was this kid, by the way? Like, I, I, I still couldn't tell. Like... So it was this real or the dream? I still couldn't tell because the kid just walks into the bar, doesn't even get ID'd, goes up to the bar, grabs a drink, and before he can even drink it, our boy Snyder in some sort of S and M gear walks up to him. 
And then he brings them back to the school and makes them do a bunch of running. Well, yeah. So, um, I don't know. So, I mean, at one point, I do know that at one point um, in the 1980s, you could buy alcohol at 18. Okay. So, I'm guessing maybe he was, maybe he was 18. But also, to be perfectly honest with you, like, I do remember... Um, like in big cities like that, like, you know, maybe they didn't really care about drinking age. Uh, that's true. Um, cause doesn't he walk up to the bar and he says, oh, and he orders a beer. Yeah. Yeah. And they get, yeah. Cause I remember that cause they give him this little tiny glass. Yeah. Cause he ordered like, a why, beer. Why would you give, <laughs> why would you give somebody a little tiny glass like that if they ordered a beer? Well, well I thought like he ordered a beer and then the guy's like, screw it. You're you're drinking liquor tonight. Okay. That's what I thought. I was um, like, this bartender wants this young guy to get drunk. But like, you know, if this does take place in California, which we talked about last time, like in <clears throat> L.A. or whatever, um, then you know, a big city like that, maybe, and in a bar like that, maybe they don't care about you know if you're of legal age to to drink or whatever. Because I can remember being underage and going to New York and going to bars in New York and not not being carded at all. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I remember being underage and like smoking, but that's about it. But this is also a pretty uh, funny scene. So we have uh, Snyder. He make he's making um, just run laps now at the school, and then right. he tells him to hit the shower. And then he is in the locker room, and we get a bunch of basketball, tennis rackets, and stuff attacking him, attacking Snyder, and he drags him over to Jess. And he he f- makes it to believe like it's Freddy controlled all this sports equipment to grab Snyder into the shower and place him on top of the sh- on top of the uh, in the in the shower room, strip him naked, and starts clawing this motherfucker to death. Yes. And I was like, okay, we're starting to get a little serious over here right now. And then after this. Jess, I guess, wakes up, and he has blood all over him, plus he has uh, Freddy's glove on his hand as well. Yeah, the violence in this movie is actually pretty good. Yeah, I'll give him that. I mean, more than I expect, better than I expected it to be. Yes, and of course, we can't have an, uh, a 1980s movie without uh, the the towel slapping Steiner's ass scene as well. Right. Okay, so now <laughs> the cops bring Jess home. Alright, and this is where we get now that the parents think that Jess is on drugs now. Because he hasn't been sleeping well, he's been acting a little irrational, and the dad, of course, thinks he's on some sort of drugs. And then, of course, Jess is like, I'm not on any drugs, he just doesn't know what's happening to him right now. So the mom wants to take him to the doctor's office. The The dad just wants to kick his butt. You know, so we're, we're starting to establish, like... The, the parents are not, you know, they're not, they don't really know the story about Freddy or anything like that. They're just establishing that we need some help with our, with our son over here. So during this time, okay, so during this time, <clears throat> this is when we get more establishing of the, um, the murders that happen at Jess's house. Like he realizes he is at this house where all these murders happened. Um, he, uh, he, he also realized, like, the, he, when he went to school, he realized that Snyder got killed. 
um, at the school as well, too. So he starts to freak out a little bit because, like, he's like, he saw that in his dream, he thought, how Steiner dies. And, of course, Steiner's actually really dead in life as well, too. So we're starting to get the Freddy taking over Jess's body experience going on over here. Um, then we build up a little bit more relationship with uh, with Lisa and Jess. He, uh, she brings him to the power plant that Freddy worked at. And I guess they where they originally killed him at as well, too. Um, we start getting more backstory from the first movie um, where Lisa's going over like the townspeople killed Freddy, burned him up. Um, and then we, more haunting of the nightmares stuff. They start looking around the whole plant as well, too. Um, so that's where they go to. That's where she tells him the story. Right, that's where yep. he, he he hears the story for the first time. Yeah, yeah, that's where he gets the story. So, and then during this part, like he feels like he's going crazier and crazier. So Jess feels like he's going like a little bit more insane. Like he can't really understand what's going on with himself because he keeps having like these dreams of flashback of him doing bad stuff. So, and of course, like I said, they're all getting ready for the pool party, which is coming up here. So we're at the pool party. This is Lisa's pool party. So the main part of the pool party was to get a bunch of teenagers together, have a good little time at the pool, and to wait for the dad and the mom to go upstairs and turn off the lights so they could start partying and out and start making out with each other. So I thought that part was pretty funny. Especially with the dad just like hanging out there, cooking like the hot dogs and stuff. Everybody's acting all nice. Right. So during this part, um, we get a little bit more... Lisa's a little worried about Jess during this time because Jess, he is obviously he's not getting a lot of sleep and he's starting to really question himself and go really insane because he can't tell if it's just like a sleep of him going crazy or but he knows something's happening with this Freddy character going on. So Lisa's trying to help him during this time and helping him by trying to have sex with him in the, the back uh, pool area. So this is when we get the tongue scene that you brought up a little earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I jumped a gun on that one. Yep. So this is when we get the tongue scene. Um, the, the, he's about to the, the, to use the tongue on there. <laughs> well, a, a kind of a creepy tongue on our girl Lisa. Then he realizes what he's doing, uh, gets out, and runs away. And he goes to run, he runs to his boy, Grandy, because Grandy, he couldn't show up to the pool party because he got grounded. Yes. Of course, you know, you would think, like, if he got grounded, he would just sneak out and go to the pool party because he acted like he was some sort of badass guy. But no, he just at home, just laying out, was like, fuck this pool party, I don't want to go, I just want to hang out. And then <laughs> he's grounded and everything, and then Jess just, like, shows up, like, no problem. Like, he just, like, comes to the front door. So I guess, like, I guess Grandy was grounded but he could still have visitors i don't know so the point of yeah so the point of this was basically jess wants to have grandy on guard because he wants to sleep and he wants to figure out what's going on with this freddy character he just wants somebody to watch him while he sleeps so jess falls asleep of course grandy's like fuck this i'm going to sleep he goes to sleep we have more interaction with jess and freddy um we get Freddy taking over Jess's body. And of course, uh, Jess wakes up. And then we see a really cool effect of like Freddy like coming through uh, Jess's body. Like actually like coming through his stomach and everything. And I was like, okay, that's pretty. We're getting we're getting to the meat of the story over here. And this is when he obviously 
uh, jumps out of Jesse's body and he actually claws down our boy Grandy. So our boy Grandy has now been the second victim of this Freddy killing. What did you think about, um, there wasn't like, in this movie there wasn't as many like death scenes as there was in the first one. So we're definitely having uh, a slower no, no, pace. No, 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 not one. as many death scenes. It's definitely slower paced. Yes. Um, I, but I, but so I think the gore, or the death scenes were replaced by other kinds of gore though. Like, yeah. um, you know, I mean, we'll get to some of those later, but like, you know, especially like where, um, you know, like the, like Freddie's face is starting to come out of, of Jesse's like stomach or whatever. Like you can tell that he's like starting to come out, if you will, of, uh, of Jesse. Um, you know, and, um, I, th- I think it's a scene a little bit later on, but where the knives come out of, uh, of his fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's another, there's no glove in this. Uh, no, th- there is some glove. Yeah. Just, I mean, like Freddie has his glove on there and there was a couple scenes with Jess having the glove on, but well, that's true. The original yeah. glove, but that's supposed to be like the same one that was in Nancy's boiler. Yes. Um, her furnace or whatever. But like, you know, when Freddie is on, when Freddie is running around killing people, the knives are just coming out of his hands. Yeah, in some parts they were. And then there there was a couple of scenes that he had the glove on too. But most of it was just coming out of his hands. So this is when we get, um, we get uh, Just coming back to the pool party and he is now covered in Grandy's blood. And Lisa's like, she first she doesn't even, She's basically like, hey, you're here. There's blood on you. Did you hurt yourself? He's like, no, I think I might have killed Grandy. I don't know what's going on with me. I'm going crazy. So we get some more crazy scenes during this time. And this is also when we start getting some of the pool area starting to heat up a little bit. So this is the whole pool style scene. So what happens during this thing, Jesse's there. He's with Lisa. They're trying to figure out what's going on with uh, Just during this time. And this is when we start getting more of Just's bodies turning into Freddy. So his whole body starts to turn into Freddy and he falls down. And then once he falls down, Freddy pops up. And then we get the chase scene between Freddy and Lisa throughout the whole house. And of course, the dad is locked into his room. They're trying to escape. And then during this time, the pool starts to heat up a little bit outside. So... We, and we see a bunch of lights start breaking and dispersing everywhere. So I thought that part was pretty neat. Um, we go back and forth a little bit with Lisa and Freddy. And then eventually Freddy jumps out the window and disappears. And so after that, then he shows up at the pool. And of course, he starts attacking all the kids around the pool. Because Freddy is now, through Jess, he is now into the physical world now. And we get one of the famous lines that you are all my children now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that, that's yes. a great that's a great line. And um, also, that's a pretty cool effect where he jumps out of the glass doors and disappears. Yeah, I thought that was pretty like, neat. I too. mean, I'm no filmmaker, but I'm not sure how they did that unless they animated the glass. Yeah, I think that, yeah, it, it probably it had to do some probably with the green screen or something where they animated the glass and just cut the scene that way. But yeah, it was a really cool. And then he just like. Um, randomly appears too at the pool scene I thought that part was really cool too Yeah, and I thought it was really cool with the pool scene where I mean he was just like terrorizing everybody he was just running around chopping up people I mean I, I mean, that's 
that like I said, this part was probably my favorite because it was kind of terrifying. Like everybody's at the pool, just hanging out, having a good time. Freddie just shows up and starts clawing people. There's fire everywhere. All right. Oh, uh, the we, fire was fantastic. Yeah. Like that scene where he's standing in front of the fire thing that's going off behind his head. Yes. Like you could just tell that was just like a director's choice. Like where he's just like, oh, let's. He's like, that'll look really cool. Just stand in front of this fire thing and wave your arms around. Yep. Yeah. That was awesome. And then, so we also got a lot of the, a lot of the scenes with um, Freddie um, taunting Lisa, uh, fronting him, saying like, you know, F- Freddie would use Jesse's voice during this time as well too. Um, and then Lisa wants uh, just to fight Freddie to be get out of him. So now we have switched characters, putting more focus on the Lisa character, and she is trying to now help Jess to escape from the Freddie control during this time as well too um also yeah, during this time becomes the hero yes also during this time too the dad breaks out grabs a shotgun and tries to shoot freddie but before he could lisa tries to stop him because she knows that uh freddie just is um still inside the freddie body that we got right now and we also do another really cool vanishing scene too freddie just walks up into fire and just vanishes so i thought that part was pretty neat yeah so this is when the movie starts to get pretty good i think Yes, I would say this is probably like the major meat part of the story around here. Like right after the pool scene, uh, we got a lot of cool, you know, this is where like the, the action starts to take form during this time. We got to see what Freddie's plan was during this whole time of taking over Jess's body. Yeah, so it turns out to be better than it starts. Like I feel yep. like the uh, as we get toward the end, it starts to make more sense than it did originally. Yep. So during this time, um, so Lisa figures out she needs to figure out how to save Jess. So she knows she just escaped after the cops get there. She escapes and she goes off to back to the power plant because she, I guess she just knows that's where Freddie would be at this power plant. She shows up. She sees a weird looking dog on on the table, which I thought that was a really cool scene. Or a weird dog, like, looking around. Like, kind of like a guard yeah. dog with a face on it. Yeah, I thought that was really effective because, you know, like, so she's, she's it's in the door. There's two of them in the door, and she's trying to get inside. But to me, this I took this as, like, you know, this is Freddy creating something nightmarish that would she would be too scared to, to, to walk by. And the more I think about it, I mean, that thing is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Now, we didn't see him. With a human face. I mean, the effect yeah. doesn't look great. Because there's a similar effect to that in the uh, 1978 Invasion of the Body Statures movie yeah. that's done a lot better. But that's still pretty fucking terrifying, though. Yeah. I mean, I just wish we got to see a little bit more of the dog because I thought it was pretty pretty creepy looking. Uh, but we only saw it for like a couple seconds and stuff. But Yeah, I think that's because the effect lo- looks so bad. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was literally a dog with a human face mask on it. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's go on. Yep. I mean, during this whole time, uh, Jess, she just walks around the whole boiler room um, trying to, trying to, um, I mean, Lisa walks around the whole boiler room trying to call out for Jess, tell him to fight against Freddy. You got the strength of this. Um, this is when we get, you know, Freddy taunting her through the whole, um, the whole boiler room scene. Um, they go back and forth a little bit. Um, and then eventually... Jess gets the upper hand because she realizes if she stands up against Freddy, Freddy's powers won't be as powerful. And she 
doesn't get afraid and she starts standing up to him and eventually Freddy starts to melt. And then when he starts melting, he melts into ashes and eventually he melts right down the ashes where our boy Jess emerges from the Freddy's ashes and he's okay during this time. So yeah, I thought that scene was pretty cool. Um, Obviously we get a little more stronger version of Lisa do this plant style. You know, she did walk around more of the, the boiler room, made it look like a little more like a haunted house during the time. So this is also too when we get the end scene, which is very similar to the first movie's end scene in a way, where they all get onto the bus. We get all the characters back. We get Lisa, we get Grandy, we get Jess all onto the bus. They're all hanging out, having a good time. And of course, the bus is not really the bus. It's a dream bus. And they all go out to the desert again. Exactly. So it's the same ending as the first movie, essentially. Yes. Where we leave it Um, open-ended with these characters. Right. And remember in the first movie, like I was telling you that I read somewhere that this movie, the first movie is supposed to take place in Ohio, but there's palm trees. Yes. Well... The pretty sh- I don't I'm not an expert on geography, but I don't think there's a desert in Ohio, so this probably does not take place in Ohio. Yes. <laughs> At first I was like I mean this has to be like California. You know what I mean? It has to be, yeah. Like be. there's just no way it can be anywhere but California. I mean that's just what I was just thinking the whole time because all of the movie centers around um Nancy's original house, which I guess becomes Freddie's house, and then it comes that power plant nearby. Um, so, so yeah, so that was the nightmare on Elm street too. You got any final thoughts? Um, it was okay. I mean, you know, it wasn't great, but it was better than I expected it to be. It's true. So my thoughts were, um, I did like a lot of like the one liners from Freddie. I mean, obviously that's like one of the keys to the nightmare on Elm street movies is the Freddie one liners that he has. Yeah, I thought the effects were pretty good in this movie. Obviously, I really like the pool scene. That's like my favorite scenes um, in this movie. Um, the actual characters themselves, I thought the storylines were okay, but like I, I kind of like more like the the first one where Freddy would haunt them more in their dreams than he would like he would come out. You know, because like the in the first movie, Freddy didn't want to come out of the dreamland. Like he she he got pulled out. By Nancy to come out into the to the real world because it seemed like it, when Freddy was out in the real world that's how he can like die. In this movie, he wanted to come out into the real world, so it was kind of like a little different. Like I guess they were trying to make the storyline a little different with Freddy during this time. Either that or either that or whoever wrote it just really didn't understand the the mythology of Freddy. Exactly because as we as we're gonna be going on the the third movie is gonna be a little different <laughs> than this uh, particular one over here, but. Everybody, that has been Nightmare on Elm Street 2. This is the Retro Blood. James Klein. Retro Blood. J.A. Allison signing off. And, um, you know, just be careful with those dreams. Because if you start having too many wet dreams like our boy Jesse, you could end up being a serial killer. You could. That's the moral of this movie. That's the moral of this movie. All right, everybody. We'll catch you later. And don't forget to check out this great track by our boys, Crazy Nights. This is Loudness, a 1985 hit if there ever was one.